Why, hello there, friends. Welcome back to my show, The Mark Claire Show. It's Mark Claire Mondays once again. Monday is a day you get to start every single morning with an episode of The Mark Claire Show. If you so choose, I highly recommend pairing that morning with Fox and Sons Coffee. I got a cup right here of the Den Blend Dark, my absolute favorite coffee ever. I'm not exaggerating. It is my favorite coffee ever. Uh, Up until now, I had really never had great fresh coffee beans, at least not on a regular basis. Now I love these beans so much. I get them shipped to my house every single month. You can do that too. And you can do it with a brand new discount, a higher discount. That's right. I sat in a smoke-filled room, just like I'm going to do later on today with my guest, Mikkel Thorup. I sat in a smoke-filled room with Stephen Fox, and we hashed out a new deal. Before, you got 15% off. Now, it's a whole new world, baby. 18% off by using my discount code MCS. Think Mark Claire Show. Discount code MCS gets you 18% off your order at Fox and Sons Coffee. Foxnsons.com. F-O-X, the letter N, S-O-N-S.com. Stephen Fox has started a great business here, not just procuring incredibly fresh, awesome, amazing coffee beans, but... Also, to teach his sons about entrepreneurship, which I just think is a fantastic combination. If that wasn't great enough for you, he's a huge supporter of this show. In fact, he gives me money. So what what could be better than that? Um, So since he gives me money and I tell you about him, maybe you can give him some money and then you get coffee beans and you get to start your day just like me with Fox and Sons coffee. I can't think of a better situation for all of us. So head over to foxandsons.com. Use that discount code MCS for 18, 18% off your order. That being said, I'm very excited about my conversation today. I had a great chat with my friend, Mikkel Thorup, who full disclosure, I have worked with now behind the scenes for a couple of years. That's how I have firsthand knowledge of what a ruthless time manager he is with himself, not with me, not with his employees. He's great with his employees. With himself, he is absolutely ruthless. And that is how he has turned himself into one of, if not the most productive people I've ever met. So I'm happy to share that conversation about just how he goes about that today with you. Enjoy my conversation with Mikkel Thorup. My guest today is a consultant and really one of the world's foremost experts on the expat lifestyle. He helps people find more freedom uh, by living in other countries. And he's also the host of the fantastic Expat Money Show. I'm very pleased to welcome to my show, my friend Mikkel Thorup. Happy to be here, Mark. Happy to be on your brand new program. And I'm very excited for you with the new venture. You know, I had a chance to appear with you several times on uh, on your previous show, and I was always been a big fan of your work, but uh, very happy to be here today. Well, indeed, yes, I have spoken to you a few times. Well, I've spoken to you many, many times in, in life, um, but uh, you know, uh, in podcast form, if anyone wants, uh, we'll, we'll kind of touch on your, your origin story, so to speak, here in a second, but if anyone wants more extended versions of those, there's a couple lines, Liberty Conversations, that I'll link to uh, as well, but speaking of the origin story, why don't we just uh, kind of take it from wherever you make the most sense, but really what I want to get to is uh, sort of what led you to pursue the expat lifestyle, not just for yourself, but but why you became so passionate about it as, as being uh, you know, such a possibly wonderful vehicle for others to find more freedom and liberty in their own lives. Sure. So I, for my story, I have to go quite far back in time, but I will try to make it as concise as possible. And probably a lot of your listeners have heard it before anyways. But uh, what happened, Mark, was when I was a child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And one day the teacher pulled me out of class and sat me down in a little room and the principal and vice principal and 
resource teacher were there and they said, uh, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is send you to a special school, special school for special boys. So that's what they did, Mark. Every day for three years, I got on a little white bus, took a little white bus across town and I went to this quote unquote special school. Only problem was it actually was not a special school. It was a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what happened. I got in. So all the kids knew who who was coming in on the white bus. It's the special kids, right? Exactly. Exactly. This was the the special ed program type of thing. Um, You know, and I just got in so many fights, so many picked on and bullied and just just an all round pretty crummy experience. Now, I would never claim that. you know, like if I got hit, I would never claim that uh, I wouldn't hit back or like I was a victim. I I hate victim mentality. You know me very well. I'm very much against victim mentality in all forms. And uh, if I could, I would always hit back twice as hard. So I would never claim otherwise. But uh, after three years, I got to go back to my neighborhood school and I thought everyone is going to be so excited to see me and so happy to see me. And then you can probably imagine what happened again. I got, uh, everybody started gossiping and whispering and, you know, oh, I remember Mikkel, he went to some retard school. Thanks guys. Very sensitive. You know how children can be. Um, but, um, then I, uh, I basically stopped going and when I stopped going, I started failing. And when I started failing, um, you know, they put me in summer school and then I would fail that and somehow, you know, I'd get pushed along, but I, I was failing all of my programs. Do you think you're, short, were you failing because you were having like struggles academically because it's just like how you learn differently than that system set up? Or were you, did you just were you just kind of checked out on the whole thing? No, because I wasn't attending. I mean, I was doing anything. No, no fucks were given. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, I was actually doing anything and everything I could to like subvert the system and not attend. You know, I would do anything and everything not to be there. Um, even if physically I was there, mentally I was not there. I was out, you know, I was creating things in my brain. I was thinking about other stuff. I was chasing girls. I mean, just anything and everything that I did not need to be in school. Do, do you think that like sort of being outcasted by the system in a sense from an early age and sort of having that target on your back from the other kids, getting into fights, being bullied around, you think in, in some ways looking back, going through all of that sort of prepared you to go through similar trials in life. I mean, I don't think you would ever argue that like, you know, the expat life cannot, can have its challenges. So do you think that, um, that early experience prepared you for that in some ways? Absolutely. You know, I have just never been a collectivist type of person. I never played team sports. I never got along in the school projects or any of these types of things. I've always been very individual about these things. And I see that in my adult life now, and I can look back from when I was eight years old, and I could see that about myself. Now, I think that this is also the time that I really became a freedom fighter, like that I knew that there were things that were wrong, and I knew that it was not applicable for me. It, it did not it did not make sense for me morally and ethically. You know, could I um, could I explain it at twelve years old like I can explain it now? No, certainly not. But I knew it was wrong. I knew it was wrong. So I had to get out of these types of systems. Um, and I did. And uh, and I'm very proud of myself for leaving at such a young age and creating things on my own. All right. All right. So from, from there, once you had sort of rejected that entire uh, educational system, how did you end up traveling to all these countries and spending so much time overseas? So, um, I mean, the nitty gritty is I used to do martial arts at a very high level. And I... Um, 
I got accepted to Team Canada when I was, well, I was probably about 16 when I got on Team Canada for martial arts. And we had a huge international uh, world's tournament in Ireland when I was 17. And so I got to go over there and compete internationally at 17. And uh, I went with my father and we had tagged on uh, like an extra three weeks to the trip. So we went through Ireland, England and Wales together. And the amazing thing, Mark, was that when I, like entire my entire life growing up, my father had told me that traveling was the greatest thing he ever did with his life. So when I actually went with him and, and started exploring the world, I saw that he was completely right. Like he was absolutely correct. Uh, traveling was the best thing I w- had ever been able to do. And still today, I guess my big question for him was like, why did he only do one or two trips when he was in his twenties? You know, why did he not spend more time for me? Um, after my first trip, I immediately was saving money. and was doing my second trip and then my third trip and then fourth trip and 23 years later. And I'm still traveling and still exploring the world and still enjoying it and getting as much of a thrill of it out of it today as I did when I was a kid when I started these things. Cool. Well, I think that's a pretty good a pretty good cliff notes of at least how you got to the X standpoint. But like I said, we've done more much more detailed uh, deep dives uh, on that stuff. So I'll link to those episodes as well. Um, one thing I want to get into uh, sort of from that is you know in the in the pro- really defining for people because we the the word a lot of words get tossed around expat digital nomad. Um, you're specifically an expat, which would have a different definition I would say than a digital nomad. Uh, so how would you actually define what an expat is? Sure. I think lexicon is super important. So, and there's a couple of other terms in here that I'll throw out just so that we're very clear. An expat is somebody who is going to move to another country with the full intention of either returning back to their home country at some point or moving on to a third country. So this is how we would kind of differentiate between, say, an expat and an immigrant. An immigrant is usually leaving their home country, moving to a new one, and that's it. They're not leaving. That's for the rest of their life. They're going to be in that country. And on the opposite end, a digital nomad is going to be there for very short periods of time. You know, an expat might be a year, two years, five years, but eventually they know that they're going to be moving on or they have homes in multiple countries. Digital nomad might be one month, three months, six months in one place, and then that's it. You know, so those are kind of the big things. Now, from the legal standpoint, um, that comes down to immigration. A digital nomad can be on a tourist visa, can be on one of these new digital nomad visas that have come out over the last 18 to 24 months. but, uh, you know, it's not really an immigration type of issue. It's a, it's a mentality type of thing. I would also think that digital nomads are very much, um, it's, a, it's a younger crowd traditionally. There's usually a lot of partying. It's usually singles who are out there, digital nomads. Not always. I mean, there's lots of 40, 50-year-old digital nomads. But usually it's it's slightly younger crowd. And expat a lot of times will be more stable moving around a lot less. So maybe they'll have their spouse with them or their family with them. I also find that expats are trying to incorporate themselves into the country and the culture a lot more. So the language, the history, the food, you know, I think that that comes with a certain amount of respect. You know, if you're a digital nomad and you're going to full moon parties in Thailand and you're drinking and doing E, you know, five nights a week, great, have fun, you know, that's awesome. I probably did tons of that kind of stuff when I was in my 20s. But at 40 years old, it's, probably. it's a very different story. Probably. <laughs> I'm not incriminating myself on on uh, on air here. But um, 
those are kind of the the differences in the lexicon we could say Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing you mentioned there, you know, a lot of people become immigrants, like say if they marry someone from another country and they, they would maybe immigrate there and become an immigrant, uh, you know, have a certain level of residency and then eventually maybe become a citizen. So an expat is, is probably someone who, while they are going to stay somewhere for a while, they're not trying to actually become a full-time citizen, basically long-term for the rest of their life, life kind of thing. Um, one thing though, that I do want to talk to you about, cause we I haven't really ever discussed this with you. Um, your wife is also an expat from her home country. Neither of you are immigrants to your respective countries. You are both married overseas. So I, I'm just kind of curious how you met your wife and how did you both kind of agree like we want to live both as expats or was there ever conversation of, of one of you sort of moving to the other country? Any any light you can shed on there? I don't think we've ever gotten sure. into that on or off air. Sure. I can explain the, the story. So um, I was living in the Middle East. I was living in the UAE and uh, I had a flight to go to uh, to Germany and I and I sat down. And there was this really beautiful girl next to me on the flight. I was flying to Frankfurt and she was also on vacation. So, so as you said, my wife is from mainland China and, you know, didn't really say much for the first little bit of the flight. But then um, I think what happened was I, I sat up to go, uh, stood up to go to the washroom. And when I walked by, there was some kids and stuff like that there. So I think I, from the, on the way back from the washroom, I bent down and I was just goofing off and making funny faces and cracking jokes. And I just hung out with a couple of kids for three minutes. I didn't know them. They didn't know me, but I just, I really like kids and stuff like that. Um, so when I sat back down, she turned to me and she's like, she said, uh, it's so sexy, a man who plays with children. And I was like, <laughs> I was in like, the wrong context, I, that could be, taken. Yeah. <laughs> but well, English in this is case, a second very language but, for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But you understand the context. Yeah, so, yeah. um, so I was like, how are you doing? So, um, so we started chatting, chit-chatting, chit-chatting, and then she goes, "Oh, I mean, that's a husband material move, right? Right from the get-go." So, I mean, maybe yeah, it wasn't and it planned, wasn't, but it wasn't planned. Like, you don't don't think anything sinister, you know? I'm not I'm not that <laughs> smart or that sly that I, I come up with such elaborate plans. Um, I was just hanging out and just making goofy faces with the kids, just being silly. Um, and then we're just chit-chatting back and forth and stuff, and then she says. Um, Oh yeah, I'm from Canada and my best friend or sorry, I'm I'm from China and my best friend is from China and her husband is from Canada. And then she just kind of like looks at me in this like basically like my best friend has uh, a Canadian husband like you're Canadian, you know. Uh, you <laughs> Maybe I should do what she does. <laughs> yeah, so we you know, we talked the whole flight. We got lo- got along really well and uh and we ended up spending the entire I don't know, a few days together in Germany and um, yeah, just got along very well. And I don't know, within six months, we flew to, we, we got married. Um, we got married in Africa and then, um, and then we decided we want to have children together. So we had our first baby uh, in Abu Dhabi and then we had our second child in Brazil. Uh, so we have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, almost two years old uh, little boy. And it just met on a flight to Germany somewhere. Wow, that's 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 amazing. So, are both are both kids citizens of those countries? Is so, uh, our daughter is not because in the UAE you can't become they they don't follow citizenship by by the soil. Okay. You have to have not even just one of the parents. The father has to be the uh, the Emirati for the child to get citizenship there. If the mother is not, or sorry, if the mother is Emirati but the father is not, if the father was. Canadian or something like that, the child would not get. Uh, but in Brazil, it's the opposite. In Brazil, they do allow um, birth tourism. So that's what we did. We flew down there while my wife was pregnant and gave birth there. 
And then do, are both kids eligible or do they have like Chinese and Canadian passports? Is that or do yeah, you, so maybe you wouldn't even want to get a Canadian passport at this point? But No, 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 no. Both children have Canadian passports. With okay. China, they do a little bit differently. Um, it's not a passport, but it looks like a passport. It's it's almost identical to a passport, but it's a, not a nationality. But it allows them to live in the country um, and then they have to renew it every few years. So I think I think my daughter's is expired and i don't even know if we ever applied for my my sons but um even they, they have a I, lot of options just because of that sort of mixed, mixed background then exactly want to pursue one or the other for whatever reason yeah and then you know as a family we have a bunch of other residencies and passports and citizenships not things that i'll get onto uh publicly because there's, there's a certain amount of privacy here but yeah they do have um advantages for being my kids all right. Well, for to dig, dig into all that stuff, uh, Mikhail not only hosts the Expat Money Show, uh, he's also doing a lot of videos on YouTube, breaking down individual residency and citizenship programs. So there's just a wealth uh, of material out there. If you're interested in, in pursuing that life more, you know, feel free to reach out to Mikhail. He'll give all his info at the end of the show. Uh, but curtailing away from that, well, not really away. It's it's all really the same subject in a way. But you know, I, I behind the scenes, I've worked with you now for a couple of years uh, on your podcast, helping you grow your sort of the media side of things a bit and one thing that's always struck me is that you are just incredibly productive i like to think i'm decently productive but you're one of the most productive people i know and last year just as i was thinking like man i, I how does miguel do all this you put out a couple different a few different podcasts some more recent but uh, last year you did one that will kind of start with a few things from uh, i think it was called 94 things i do to ensure success every day something something like that i can link to that full episode as well but i just want to get into some of the the daily habits you have some of the regular things that you work into your schedule that enable you to not only be so productive with your business, um, but at the same time, balancing, you know, very, you know, still spending a lot of time with your family, still going on vacations, still spending all the time with the kids, because, you know, in a sense, it's like, yeah, it's great if you can go live in other countries. But if you spend 100 percent of your time at your desk, then it doesn't really matter where you live anyway. Yeah. And before we jump into those things, I, I want to do a bit of a plug for you. Because Mark, you and I have been friends. I think it's got to be five years because we're hitting four years in Panama right now. And wow. you and I were yeah, working yeah. together while we were in Abu Dhabi. So for anybody out there, I started working with Mark because I really wanted to grow my podcast. And the results have been amazing. The product has been 10 times better. Um, the professionalism, the size, the audience, everything. So I came to Mark. Um, I came to you and uh, and you've helped me tremendously over the last five years. So well, thank you. I will, thank I will you accept that. that baked in commercial for myself. No, it's, it's, it's very <laughs> genuine, very genuine. And we talk, I don't know, every day, every two days or something like that. So um, anybody else who anybody who is out there and listening, the, a gentle plug here from from my dear friend, Mark. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, now, as for productivity, um, yeah, I mean, there's a million and one directions we can go with that. You know, give me a little bit of uh, well, direction we, or context. Yeah, yeah why don't we start with just some things you do every day? Like, like how well, how do you set yourself up in the day to be productive throughout that day? Even if maybe some of those things are things you do before that day even comes, whether it's scheduling things out, uh, planning things ahead of time. Just what are some things you do to to ensure that when you wake up, like you know, some, some shit's going to get done. Sure. I guess maybe for the mornings, I kind of have to start the night before, because I think that, you know, it comes with a lot of the planning the day before. So obviously I use a calendar for anything and everything, like every single piece of anything that needs to be done goes on the calendar. I don't try to keep anything in my brain whatsoever. 
I also have like notebooks sitting around like everywhere for different projects. Um, notebooks on clients, notebooks on to-do lists, notebooks on personal things, on health, on everything I track, everything I write down. I know that everybody knows this, but I don't think everybody does it. You know, this is the big difference with a lot of it. It's, it really needs to get done. So I will spend the, you know, not a huge amount of time, 20 minutes or something like that the night before writing out the stuff that needs to be done the next day. Then everything is on the calendar and I try to block it off in time. Then I go through my, my, my phone and I set an alarm five minutes before every single thing. So I'm, I'm usually on about six hours of Zoom calls a day with clients, meetings, um, you know, just so people understand my, my main work is as a consultant. So I deal with the immigration and the tax and the, the investment um, and the legal issues of going offshore and being an expat. So I'm, I'm constantly dealing with lawyers and accountants and we have group coaching calls and group meetings um, with all of these types of things. So piece by piece, I make sure that everything is set out the night before so that when it comes time the next day. I'm not like, hey, what do I feel like doing today? Or what do I want to work on or anything like that? Like everything is already mapped out uh, very, very clearly. Um, I guess that's kind of the, the first thing to know in the mornings so that I've already removed all of like the decision making process. You know, I don't. I mean, that's a huge one too, because I, I, I do a little bit of both. Some days I have a really good day, like planned out in my calendar. And those days I get it all done. I mean, it's just, it's going to get done because it's there in front of me. There's other days I'm like, I'll do these things tomorrow in my mind. And suddenly I can look up. It's one o'clock. I got distracted with 17 different things because I didn't have something that even if it was the same order of things, same type of things, I didn't have something in front of me telling me this is what you do now. Sure. And that does happen to me as well. But luckily, because I am on back-to-back -back calls, you know, sometimes a call will take 21 minutes instead of 30 minutes. Now I've got nine minutes and then I'll go on Telegram and, you know, answer staff questions. What do I do about this? What do I do about this? Someone will send me a report. I need to quickly read through it. I can go on any type of rabbit hole there. So I do have the flexibility. But Built in is a framework of, you know, 30 minute blocks of things that need to be done. And if things finish early, then great. Um, I also find that a lot of people in today's day and age, when they're trying to work remotely, they don't have this type of uh, willpower to sit down and, and do something that they're supposed to. You know, they, I don't know, go for a walk or read a book or watch TV or I have no idea. Pick their fucking nose. Like, I have no idea what some people do during the day. For me, I make it very simple. My workday starts at 9 a.m. and it finishes at 6 p.m. You know, at by 6:05, 6:10, 6:15, I'm I'm done. I'm I tune out for the night and I, it's over. You have a full time and, job. You have to be at work. You you it's it's as if you have a boss and just it's just in this case the boss is you and you're going to hold yourself accountable. Yeah. So I don't just make up stuff in the day. What I feel like, like none of that matters whatsoever. I know I sit down. Even my employees. I mean, we're at like 18 staff right now. Everybody knows I work from nine to six. So if you message me during then, you're going to get an answer. Maybe after dinner or something like that, I'll respond. But usually I don't even take my phone downstairs with me. I just leave it upstairs. And 
it's just tuning out and just going for family time, play with the kids, goof off with them and stuff. I'm curious, did you have periods in your life where you didn't have that time so properly sort of like capped off at like, all right, my workday, while it does start at nine and I'm going to be serious about that, it has to end at six too. Did you have times when you found yourself working 12, 14 hours a day when you had to step back and say, all right, this is not sustainable because it means I have no family life or no personal life and it's just not going to work. I have, yeah. And and on the opposite scale, I have had times in my life where I screwed around and goofed off and stuff like that when I should have been working. And I was very poor during those times. I didn't have a lot of money. Maybe not a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I have found that the more ruthless I can be with my time, the more my income and my wealth goes up. So that has been very, very helpful to me. Um, as for overworking, yes, I am a workaholic. There is no question about it. My, my, my problem has never been not working enough. My problem has been working too much. Now, it was fine when I was a single guy, or it was even fine when I was a newly married man. But when I had children, that's just not acceptable. You know, you, I, I have to be a present father. So I am very fortunate because we homeschool our two children. So they're in the house as long as they're not at karate or activities or something like that. We're playing in the park with the other kids. They're here. So they know where daddy is. And, and I work at home. So they just need to walk upstairs and I'm there. Now we have definitive rules on times that they can come in. But if there's an emergency or something that happened or, you know, my daughter is upset or crying about something, I can usually take a break and, and console her, you know. So it's amazing to be present there for so much of my children's life. And every single day I have lunch and dinner with my two children and with my wife and with my mother. My mother lives with us as well. So we have a lot of family time, which is really important to me, like so, so, so precious to me um, that I want to be, I don't want to be distracted by all these things. I'm not perfect. Sometimes I do get messages and I answer them in the middle of dinner, but I really attempt not to do those things. All right. So why don't we get more to like how you start the actual day now that you've got it all planned out, you know, you're going to start your day at nine, end it at six. How do you what do you do prior to that between the time, say, when you wake up to starting that actual day to ensure that you're you're banging on all cylinders? Sure. I have to kind of think through. I think last time we did this, I had it all kind of banged out because for me, it's very normal things, but maybe to other people, it's not. Um First thing in the morning, I am, okay, obviously brushing my teeth, blah, 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 using the washroom, but uh, I'm reviewing the schedule for the day. I, I need to go through, okay, what needs to be done? I'm going to recheck all of my meetings. I'm going to make sure that my alarms are set for everything like that. Uh, I usually have a huge glass of water first thing as soon as I wake up. Water, uh, I use a Berkey. It really is because once you're when you're sleeping all night, um, you are very, very dehydrated. So the very first thing to make sure that I have a clear mind is I have, you know, a, a full glass of water. This one is empty, but, um, and then I, I like to put uh, creatine monohydrate in it, uh, not for bodybuilding or muscle or anything like that, but for brain function, there's a lot of research that shows that it can help um, with brain function. So I have mm -hmm. some purified water in the morning, maybe some apple cider vinegar in there and uh, some creatine monohydrate. I open the curtains. I get lots of bright, natural sunlight. Um, I don't want to be, like I sleep in a very dark environment, but during the day, I want it very, very bright. I want to stop the circadian rhythm. I want to stop all of these types of things. And I want the blue light in the morning. At night, I don't want it at all, but I want to be able to um, become awake as fast as possible. Uh, I do intermittent fasting, so I fast for 
16 to 18 hours a day. So I'm not eating in the morning, but I am drinking black coffee. So I'll have one or two black espressos, uh, obviously no sugar, uh, first thing in the morning. I usually do a bit of stretching, uh, go down, wrestle with my son a little bit and, you know, give my kids a kiss and talk to my wife for 20 minutes, half an hour. Uh, and then I'm at my desk. I mean, I'm at my desk from nine until 1130 in the morning. I eat my first meal at 1130. And by 12 o'clock, I'm back at my desk and just pounding through calls and things. So uh, with, with the intermittent fasting, so if you have that meal at 1130, what do you have like another meal just a few hours later? And then that's that's your eating window for the day? Yeah. So usually by noon, I am done eating. And then my last meal is at 6 p.m. Okay. So I eat between about 1130 and six or say 630 at the maximum. So it's kind of that seven hour uh, eating window type of thing. And then I fast for the rest of the day. It's funny because when you say 16 to 18 hours, it, it sounds like a long time at first. But when you sort of lay it out that way, all right, you're in bed for eight of those hours. You get up, you have the coffee. It kind of suppresses the appetite for a while. Next thing you know, it's, it's lunch. And, you know, now, now you're almost having a, a regular rest of the eating schedule. So it's not it's not really that crazy. What, what, what no, benefits no, do you find? No, it's not crazy at all. Well, first of all, it's my weight control as well. I found that um, sitting so much time on the computer and uh, not being as active as I probably should be, um, I was just getting this spare tire. So a lot of it is just like calorie reduction. I mean, first off the bat, eating two square meals opposed to three and snacks, you know, that's going to make a big difference. Um, I also find as long as I don't overdo it, I have a lot more mental clarity. If I start to fast for 20 hours or 24 hours, then I get a bit of mental fog. But um, as long as I keep around 15, 16, 17 type of hours, then it's okay. I also find that I'm a lot more awake and alert. I have a lot more energy if I'm not eating. If I have a lot of carbs during the day, like if I have a if I have big plate of rice or potatoes or something like that at lunch, I'm done. Like I, I want to take a nap, you know? So, um, not using all that energy in my body to process food and instead just allow my body to just heal naturally and just be hungry. Cause it's, it's actually not natural for human beings to be eating, you know, every couple of hours and have such an abundance of calories. You mean ancient, you know, you think, uh, ancient, like man didn't wake up and eat a plate of pancakes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With maple syrup and everything. So, um, so I think that there is a lot of the health benefits as well. Um, you know, I am not a uh, a dietitian or a, a nutrition scientist by any means, but from what I understand and have read, uh, intermittent fasting is very good for the health. Yeah, no, nothing There's we discussed today will be uh, per se health advice or any sort of official advice necessarily, but it is you relaying your own experiences of, of what works for you pretty much. Definitely. And I have found that intermittent fasting works very well, as long as I don't overdo it. I have done many 24-hour, 36-hour fasts in my life. But uh, if I need to do that and be doing interviews and podcasts and uh, writing articles and things, then no, it's not a great option. Are there any other sort of like regular regular activities, whether activities you do throughout the day or just, you know, uh, things that you're always checking off each day that sort of help keep you on point along the way? Um. I mean, I'm a big one for supplementation, for vitamins, for nootropics, these types of different things. I probably take, I don't even know, maybe 30 different pills a day wow. on <laughs> different types of things. Uh, I mean, I'm very much into the biohacking scene. 
So I like a lot of these nootropics. I like try to uh, get the most out of my brain and reprogram my brain. Um, I take like lion's mane tintures and different types of mushroom tintures and things like that that are uh, specially processed in Norway. And they do these um, alcohol extractions of the, the mycelium breakdown of the fibers that pull out all of these active ingredients in it. And, you know, there, there's some really cool things that are out there. If you have the money to spend on yourself, um, it does really make a difference. Absolutely. So I think that those things also help because I would say that most people, you know, we have a certain amount of creativity or focus during the day. Like everybody has a, a, a normal amount. Maybe that's three hours. Maybe that's four hours. Maybe that's five hours. But, you know, at some point in the day, you're going to get fatigued. You get fatigued from decision making. You get fatigued from focus. You get fatigued for all of these types of things. All I'm trying to do is extend the amount of usable time a, a, that I have during the day. So, okay, there's dead time. There's time you watch TV. There's time you just hang out with your buddies or have a drink. Um, there's time that I just open emails and just respond to things and I don't have to think too much. But if I can take my, my really hardcore focus time from four hours to six hours or six hours to seven hours, you know, that's a huge advantage. Really what I'm doing is, is buying back time. Uh, and in that I can just get a lot more projects done throughout the year. And, you know, to kind of put things in context so people understand what we get done. Um, you know, we have a weekly podcast, we do one to two blog articles a day, we do monthly webinars, we have annual summits, we have three, four trips a year with clients. Um, I work with private consultants, I own 50% of a school. Um, you know, I manage my own investments, we have real estate all over the country, we got 20 staff, two homeschooled kids. Um, you know, there's like a lot of things on my plate that need to be done. So I need to be at my best all day long, every day, nonstop, um, you know, 365 days a year. Like you always have to be turned on. So for those things, I'm really particular about what I put in my body, uh, you know, food-wise, water-wise, but also mentally, content, uh, what I'm putting into my brain, who I'm associating with, relationships, how I put, balance my emotions, um, things that go on in my family, uh, you know, their mental health and well-being, uh, all of those things play a part so that I can run, you know, my seven-figure business. How do you deal with uh, when life just kind of throws a monkey wrench into things? You know, you have your day, your week, whatever it may be planned out. Is there ever an instance where, you know, I'm sure it happens because it happens to all of us where life just intervenes, takes you out of your whole day. How do you how do you deal with like the, the random stresses that can come up? And how do you sort of, you know, make sure you can sort of not it doesn't throw your whole system out of whack. You can just get kind of right back into it. Um. So. Same as everything that I do in my life, I always try to take a step back. It's it's actually not about that moment. It's everything leading up into that moment. So for example, I make sure I sleep. I'm, I'm in bed sleeping nine, nine and a half hours every single night. I wear a sleep tracker that, that tracks my sleep. So I know how much REM and how much slow wave sleep I'm getting every single night. Um, if I'm tired, I'm not going to be able to deal with situations 
properly. I won't have enough patience. Same thing if I'm hungry. If I'm at the end of a 20-hour fast, then my ability to deal with a situation is greatly diminished. So I try to make sure that everything is already done in advance. If I've eaten, if I'm hydrated, and if I've slept, chances are that my mental state will be in a much better place. And if my mental state is a much better place, I can deal with life's challenges. I don't get overly emotional. I don't you know, get angry or throw fits or anything like that. I'm firm. I mean, I'm very firm with my staff and I don't take any shit from people, but I don't like, it never becomes overwhelming for me. And I really notice the same type of thing in my family. So for example, my daughter is six years old. Um, last night at, so last night she came to meet us for dinner. The nanny went and picked her up. She brought her over. Uh, our daughter had gone to day camp for four hours then she had piano lessons and then she had karate and it was just like back to back to back and then she's studying and doing chinese and things like that in between and then the nanny brought her over for dinner and she hasn't eaten she's tired she's expended all this energy and she's in a cranky and a bad mood and she meets someone new and she's scared and she doesn't know what to do or how to handle the situation so it's exaggerated when you see it with a child but we're exactly the same adults are exactly the same now if it was instead of six o'clock on a Wednesday night or on a Thursday night or whatever, it was 10 a.m. and she just had breakfast and she had a nine hour sleep and it was the first thing she'd done in the day. The entire situation would have been different for her. So what I'm trying to say is as adults, we need to do all this pre-work to make sure that we're in the best state to show up for everything. And then whatever life throws at us, any of these monkey wrench type of situations, it doesn't overwhelm us. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I mean, sleep alone, it's, it's been a struggle for me because I, I've been an insomniac since I was a teenager and I've found various ways I, I've dealt with it and tried to like, you know, to, to work around it. But it's so obvious if there's a day I've just had a few hours of sleep and life throws something at me, like it's a disaster. I can't handle it. I'm like, oh my God, you know, it just, and it just seems to compound. The, the feeling because you because you're already stressed just because you didn't have enough sleep that when I am able to get into a rhythm and have a good sleep and wake up refreshed start my day in the right way with like sunlight instead of scrolling on my phone um, I mean it's just a, it's just a totally different situation I, I think that's another big one too I don't think it's even an issue for you but you know one thing to do or to not to do when to get when you have those little brief moments in the day and look we're all human we're all gonna probably get on the phone and scroll at some point but for the love of God, people, my, my own advice I'm going to put in there, don't scroll first thing in the morning at the very, very least, because it's just the absolute sure. worst day. These algorithms are designed to inflame your brain and to stress you out so you react to them. So starting the day that way, and I say this to myself more than anybody, because I still do it more than I should, uh, but it's a very clear difference. I, when I uninstalled start yeah. all of this That's stuff. That's a good move. All social media, I uninstalled I don't want anything to do with any of those types of things. I don't have work emails on my phone. It has to be done at my computer, also for security reasons as well, in case you lose your phone. Um, so I just don't have any of these things. Like it, for me, I try to be purposeful about everything. Like every couple of months or every year, I will walk around my house and I will look at all of the things in my my space. Is this the most efficient way to do it? Is the most effective way to do it? Is this the healthiest way to do it? So for example, um, you know, I'm very particular about which toothbrush I use, what toothpaste I use, what type of lotion I use, what type of shampoo and conditioner and facial cream and everything like that. I want things with no chemicals. I don't want to be putting any of this type of crap in my body. We try to eat as much organic food as possible. We already talked about the water. 
Um, my bed, I have an orthopedic bed with a memory foam pillow that cost me $250 and I have a copper sheet over it, which makes sure that it kills any bacteria or germs or anything. Like there's all these little Jeez. things that I go through. Um, you know, we keep it, the room very cold. I have blackout windows, uh, to make sure there's no light. I sleep with an eye shield. I have, um, a white noise by a, a company called brain FM that does uh, special white noise that has beta waves in it, which is supposed to help. That do I should the most. look into. Cause I always need it's some kind really of noise, cool. noise to get like a good, a good sleep. This one is cool because it's not just normal, uh, white noise. So like, I like rain sounds and things like that. It just reminds me of being a kid, I guess. Yeah. And it's very calming for me. But with this one, there's these uh, extra type of beta waves in there that put your body in this um, slow wave sleep pattern, and which helps restore any of the brain uh, processes. So we have um, REM sleep, which is really good for, uh, well, the REM is good for the brain functions, and the slow wave is for the muscles, for the tissue, for the body. So your body has to go into these types of sleep processes to actually rejuvenate. So you could sleep for eight hours, but if it's all just light sleep, then mm -hmm. you know the restore of nature of it is not going to be there. So I'm trying to maximize the um, REM type of sleep and the slow, uh, slow wave um, sleep patterns that I have in there. And if I can get a lot more of that, then my body heals, my body and my brain heals. Therefore, I'm better prepared for the next day. So it's like, it's all this pre stuff. It's not what I do in that moment. I guess that's what I'm trying to convey to you. It's not what I do in a moment that makes me productive. It's the things that I set up the weeks, the months, the years before that. So that when I show up to do something, I'm in a really good position. Right. Well, I, I think the general point here is that Mikel is pretty much meticulous about everything he's going to do, not just in the day, in the week, et cetera, et cetera. So to get the full, full breakdown, all 94 things, I'll link to that episode you did, or you can just search expat money show. It's called, I think it's called 94 things I do every day to ensure success. If that's not, if it's not exactly that it's pretty darn close, but I'll, I'll link to it as well. Um, yep. One thing I also wanted to kind of get into a little bit is, is more of the, more of the bigger picture stuff. Um, when you sort of zoom out and look at the broader picture of things you want to get done. Like you said, every year you have a summit, uh, you have webinars every month. What are some things you do in terms of, I know one thing you talk about a lot is goal setting and how you look at the, the concept of goals in order to achieve what you're trying to achieve. So maybe you can just give a sort of overview of, well, maybe just start broadly with how you look at the concept of goals overall. It's one thing I'm horrible at. I've always hated setting goals. Uh, I don't know why I, I've been, always, maybe it's just my personality type. I always seem to kind of do better when I just have like general systems I put into place that work for me and then better results come. But I definitely think it's something I'd like to be able to do more is have more concrete goals that I, that I keep myself accountable for, which is always the hardest part. Sure. And I, I also want to point out on this, um, like what you and I are talking about today, Mark, is not my line of work. Like right. I, I am a, a hobby biohacker. I am a hobby, you know, all of the things that I do are to set myself up for success because I have huge goals for building my business and helping people and everything like that. My main business is immigration and tax and these types of things specifically related to the offshore space. So even if I trip on my words a little bit, it's because I'm not even used to explaining these things. Right. These things are internal. This is like really just raw me trust, tr ex trying to explain things. Right. That's what we're but here what for. We were it's the raw stuff here on the Mark Clare show. Exactly, exactly. So I, I have nothing to sell about this. I'm not promoting anything. This is just very much, um, you know, things that I have found helpful in my life. And 
what I have studied and seen work. Now, what we were discussing before is really the micro stuff. You know, those are the everyday type of things that help with my productivity. Now, zooming out would be the macro type of things. These are the goals. These are the annual, the, the one year, the five year, the 10 year type of plan. Um, what I have found with, well, I can, I, can, I can attack this by two different fields. What I have found with most people is that they are setting goals which are uh, all about the results, which good. I mean, I'm very much a results-orientated type of person. But setting a goal towards a result um, really doesn't do anything. Like, this year, I will make a million dollars. Okay, great. Awesome goal. How the fuck are you going to do that? Like, what are the processes? What are the steps that are going to be? Who who do you need to be to be the type of person who deserves to make a million dollars a year? I make a million dollars a year. I do. I'm the type of person who does these types of things. I do it every day because I'm really fucking meticulous with every little piece of my life. And to, to earn that money, I have to provide a certain amount of value in the marketplace. If I don't provide the value, no one's going to give me the money. So... Although you might have a goal of making a million dollars or or doing these types of things, I think that that is a really poor way to look at at the overall project. You know, what I try to do instead is control things that I can control. Um, let's use let's use language learning as as a example because I think it um, I think it's a perfect example. Actually, you could say uh, in 2023, I am going to learn Russian, or I'm going to learn Chinese, or I'm going to learn Spanish, okay? Great. How is that going to help you? You know, you can't control really what your brain is going to learn. You can't control how, you know, how fast you're going to pick it up. You can't control any of these types of things. Instead, I would look at the process. So for me, when I decided I wanted to learn Spanish, the first thing I did was I started searching. Uh, how many hours does it take to learn Spanish? Mm. Well, actually, there's a lot of studies out there that show that it takes around 600 to 650 hours of focused study to learn Spanish if you come from a native English level. Even that okay? fir first step, I think, is is so indicative of just the, how you approach things differently than a lot of people would. I would have never thought to do that first. I would just try to mm -hmm. get some course, dive right in. I would never have wrapped my head. I, I'd say would as if I didn't actually do this. I, I, I never did wrap my head around how many hours do I actually need to put in to actually do this, which when you think about it logically should be the first step before you dive into anything. You should have some idea of how, how much time do I need to portion off to this thing. Exactly. I mean, most people will just dive in and they'll be like, okay, I'm going to study Spanish. So they'll buy a book or they'll buy a course or something like that. But they don't know, you know, they don't know if this is, is this a good way to learn it? Is it a bad way to learn it? How much time is it going to take? They can't manage their expectations. They have no idea mentally to be prepared. You know, they just kind of set the goal. I'm going to do this. And for most people, that's kind of where it ends. You know, like maybe they'll get a little bit of motivation in January, but come February or March, it's over. And then we're at the next year. Um, that's not how I look at it. I went, okay, I want to go and figure out exactly how many hours. So I found that Spanish is about 650 hours. That was what we would consider a level one language. So you can think of Portuguese, Spanish, French, Italian, um, and Romanian, all as kind of level one languages. And then you have level two languages. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go through all of the numbers, but say Chinese 
Chinese, Korean, Japanese, and Arabic are all level five languages. I think they so just take they're around, more complex, and you, it's almost like learning a new system. Yeah, from and scratch. because you don't have cognates, so there's no words in Chinese that overlap with English,、mm-hmm. meaning the same thing. Like, for example, okay, a problem in English is problem, in Spanish is problema. I mean, it's the same word. Right, right. I mean, you just make it just make it sound Spanish and add an accent a little bit, and you're you're good. Yeah. So. In Latin-based languages, there's a certain amount of cognates that are overlap. Then English, you have to understand, is made up of not just a Latin-based language; it's also a Germanic language, and it's also a Old English. So, it's English is a is a mutt of a language from three、um, three different languages. So, even when you go to German, there'll be cognates in German. Even though German is not a Latin language, it's it's a completely different language tree. But with English, there's similarities. So it, German might take you, I think, 750 hours of intense study. I think that's the level two language. So it doesn't really matter which language you want to learn. And and I once again, I am only using languages here as an example. But this is how I do everything in my life for goal setting. So I figure out how much work actually needs to go into it. Then I need to break it down. All right, is the goal to be fluent in one year? Is it two years? Is it How how much time? So now I will go. All right. Well, if I study two hours a day for three hundred sixty five days, then I'm going to overshoot my、um, my goal of six hundred and fifty hours. So I'm on the safe side. Now I know that when I'm traveling, I won't be studying, and you know you got to give and take a little bit. So what I do is I take a book and I I write down every single week, you know, and then I mark down like, all right, I did this many hours of study. On week one, on week seven, on week forty-three,、uh, you know how much did I study that week? And then I can judge, give or take. Do I need to be studying more in a day? Do I need to be studying less? Am I ahead? Am I behind? So that at the end of the year, I get to my goal. I will also be looking at well, what are the most efficient ways for learning a language? What are the most effective ways? So. A lot of people will say, "Oh, just use Duolingo." No, Duolingo sucks. I mean, it's it's not actually. It's a game, and as you were saying before, with algorithms, it's there to be addictive. So yes,、uh, you might be able to、uh, pull out the, every third word of a sentence and replace that word and know what that is. But if you're trying to order tacos on the street in Mexico City, how is that going to help you? You know, it's just it's just not. So try to find the most efficient and effective way. Try to find that eighty twenty type of principle. With what you're doing, the most bang for your buck on it. Okay,、um, for me, I have found that having a structured course where I'm doing a certain amount of study is is the base, and then from there, I am doing things like、uh, private tutoring and just chit chatting. I want comprehensible input where I am consuming the content just barely above my normal、uh, understanding level.、Um, what helps a lot with this is Netflix. So I watch a lot of programs in Netflix in Spanish with Spanish subtitles. Once I was able to get to a position where I could watch TV,、uh, something that interested me,、um, then my Spanish like really got a lot better. So. That's how I would look at a goal. So I would say, okay, I want to be fluent. Like, okay, say next year I wanted to be fluent in Portuguese. I would find out how many hours it is for. I would find a course. I would find some good content. I would start at the beginning and I would diligently go through it two hours a day, every single day. I study every day, nonstop, three hundred sixty-five days a year, for three to four hours every night, and I have done it for twenty years. 
not necessarily languages, can be taxation, can be about other things in my business, can be marketing, can be, um, can be law. I mean, but every single day I study for three to four hours, no matter what. All right. So this is, this is where I start to go. All right. But how does he do this all? So is that three or four hours outside of your nine to six workday? Is that in addition? Yeah. And then also the nine to 10 hours of sleep. This is where I start to go. How is it? How is he doing it? So how are you so efficient, even with your, your leisure time, you know, cause you're also fitting in okay. time. That's we haven't accounted for <laughs> like, you know, playing with your kids, spending time with a little wife, what have you. All right. We'll do the math just to kind of prove okay, that I'm, I'm not, not uh, I don't, I'm not I don't have 30 hour true. days. I'm just day. trying to figure, cause I know no. for me, whenever I plan a day like out like that too, if I have it down to the wire, like, like things happen, like it takes me longer to do this thing. I get distracted. So that's, it's like, even if I have it perfect for me, it's still even the skill is still keeping it within that, even if you do have it planned out. So I'm up at around eight o'clock in the morning. I brush my teeth, yada, yada, yada. I go down, kiss my kids. I'm surprised you're up at eight because that you take me, I would think someone as, who gets as much done as you, you I, in my mind, you're like, this is like a, a 5 a.m. guy, you know? No, no. I'm more effective at night. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm very much, I like the nights and it's nice and quiet. Um, start work at nine, finish at 6 p.m., uh, 6 p.m. I'm downstairs having dinner with my wife and kids. We go and pick up my daughter from karate, uh, play with the kids for, you know, two hours. And then by about 8, 8.30, my son's down to bed. He's two years old. Um, then my daughter is down to bed shortly after that. So basically by 9 p.m., both the kids are in bed. We've eaten. Everything is done. Then from, yeah, from 8.30 to 11 or 8.30 to 11.30 is free time. So my wife is also very, I'm, I'm very introverted. I'm, my wife is very introverted as well. I've had to learn how to be not introverted for the podcast and things, but naturally I'm, I'm very much uh, okay by being by myself. So while I'm doing, like we have a sauna in the house, I have red light therapy. That's my dream. Um, my dream is to have an indoor so sauna. Nice. We were just talking about this the other day. So, so nice. We've got a, we've got a, we have a steam room and an infrared sauna. Uh, in the house. So I'll do those at night. While I'm doing that, I've got my earbuds in and I'm listening to audiobooks. I process audio information very fast. So I can usually do two to three times speed on audiobooks or podcasts or any type of programs. If I already know the material, like say it's just a, a business book, I can easily do three times speed. Or if it's geopolitics or these types of things, which I follow every single day, I do three times speed. If it's a brand new thing that I've never learned before, then no, then it's probably two times speed. But so then figure, I get two and a half, three, three and a half hours of study time at night. I do my stretching, a little bit of exercise, my red light therapy, sauna. Uh, we have a jacuzzi in the house as well. So sometimes jacuzzi, you know, all these things just to relax de-stress. I'm not looking at screens. I'm not working on my computer. Um, I really like audio. So I've got my earbuds in. And I mean, I can do a book in two days this way. Mm -hmm. I mean, an average book is about 10 hours long. So if you're doing three times speed in, an, in a day and a half, two, two days, I can plow through a book. And I do. I, I read about 100 books a year this way. Yeah. Um, getting in that relaxation so I time, I think is so essential, whether it's the sauna or going for walks or just having something that just relaxes your mind and body is so key. Cause I think, I mean, no matter how efficient or productive you are and you can tell yourself, I can work 12 hours a day for seven weeks straight and I'm fine. As fine as you think you are at some point, your, your body and your mind are like, dude, I need to relax. So you need to work it in regularly Definitely. or else you're just going to get, get lost. 
Yeah, I mean, from 6 p.m., I'm done at work. You know, like I said, 6, 6.05, 6.10, something like that. I am done. And then I have until 11.30 at night, 11, 11.30 at night when I go to bed. So all that time is either family time or study time. And when I'm studying, my wife's in the room. She's doing the same thing. She's reading her stuff. She's watching her programs on her tablet. So we're still close to each other. And then we'll chat about things or she'll read, be reading a book she'll want to tell me about. Uh, she really likes history. So she'll be telling me about some of the things in the history book she read. Um, and then it's just like it's really tuning down. And then when my head hits the pillow at 1130 at night, I'm done. Like I'm within seconds, I'm asleep. Wow. So, you know, if it's 11, 11 o'clock, I go 11, 1130, I go to bed and I'm up at eight, you know, that's eight and a half, nine hours of sleep. And I'm pretty efficient at my sleep. So that's how I fit it all in. All right. Well, Mikel, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good overview. Again, you've done more detailed, longer versions of, of all of this in three different podcasts. So I'll link to all those podcasts. Yeah. So if anybody wants to dive even deeper into this stuff, um, you can certainly uh, do so in those expat money show episodes. Um, just before we wrap up here, is there anything, anything we left off though? That's like a big one or like a, an overall tip or just overall advice. Cause I think even to someone who's maybe just trying to sort of get themselves in a more organized mindset, a more more efficient uh, schedule, even just hearing all this might feel overwhelming. So do you have any advice on maybe just, just some simple steps to get started to sort of set yourself on the right path? Obviously having these systems in place, having everything lined up, this, this didn't happen overnight. Yes, it did. It definitely did not happen overnight. I mean, I probably read a couple hundred books on time management, productivity, goal setting, um, all of these types of things. So I want to understand the most efficient, effective way to do it. You know, I'm not trying to create all these things. This is 20 years of systems that I've been putting in place in my life. I think what happens with a lot of people is they over, overestimate how much entertainment time that they need a day or a week. You know, with my wife and kids, maybe we will watch one to two hours of movie or television a week, one to two hours a week. I know lots of people who do like three hours a day or four hours a day. Like, no wonder you're not getting anything done. I mean, that's a lot of entertainment time. Um, I like entertainment. I like having fun and things like that as well. But I also modify my version of fun. Because for me, reading a new book or learning something new that I can help my clients with, or, you know, I'm, I'm really reading a lot of books on estate planning right now. I think it's really fun. I, I find it really interesting and it just itch, uh, scratches an itch that I have in my brain to understand a new concept. So modifying your version of fun, I think is important. Um, you know, if you don't watch three hours a day of TV, you're not going to die. Like, I mean, that, that is valuable, valuable time for studying. Um, and then I think socializing is very important. Having friends is very important. We go out for dinner probably three nights a week. Uh, we love good food. I love good wine and having a nice cocktail. Every time we go out, they're with clients. So, mm, so it's two for I, one kind of dinner. deal here. Yeah. Last it's night we had a client dinner. You're, you're doing something productive for work. So Yeah. And then we went to a party. There was a grand opening of a real estate development. Uh, the owner of the developments, the CEO, he's a good friend of mine. They invited really, us. Uh, There's 200 people. Really, there, anytime so. you can combine work and pleasure, I think that's ideal because if you're being productive towards something that, uh, that's you know your business or whatever it may be, but it's also something you enjoy, boom, you hit the sweet spot. Exactly. So it's try to find some type of a business which will allow you to do this. Like my business 
is helping people move overseas and offshore. So I get to talk about travel and tax savings. And as someone who hates the government, um, you know, helping people to get rid of taxation is is like the Lord's work. I mean, this is, <laughs> there's nothing better in the world. So of course I'm going to study and, and learn about these things and help people with it. And then I get to go out to dinner and meet all these other cool people who are my clients and learn about their lives and, and help them and, and emotionally support them and give them the courage to go through all this. It's the best. I mean, it works for me. And, you know, whatever it is that you love in your life, that figure out a way that you can do it and help people with it and add value to the marketplace. Then studying at night for three hours a day is not work. I mean, that's what you want to do anyways. So it's just, it's once again, I, I've said it like 12 times, but mm. it's setting all these things up in advance so that when it comes time to show up, it's very easy. Like my life's not hard. My life is dead easy. I know exactly what to do. I know where I am at all points. I know exactly, you know, how much I'm supposed to read, how much I'm supposed to study, where I'm supposed to be, what type of calls I'm supposed to be on, where I am financially. I mean, I track everything. I write it all down. I have all the processes done. I basically have like manuals written for my life, same as we would have for a business. Well, life is harder. But all that needs to be done. Life, life is harder the more chaotic it feels. So it sounds like... In, in most ways that you're trying to set things up, you're trying to remove as much chaos as possible. So not a coincidence that things feel so much easier when you've done so much of that in advance. So I think. Uh, well, and last point on that is I don't only do it for myself. I also try to help my wife, my mother and my two children. And and we have two full time nannies and a cleaning lady. I try to help all of them with these types of things as well. Have they eaten enough? Are they hydrated? Mm -hmm. Have they slept? Are they emotionally balanced? Are they taken care of? Are they physically well? You know, if they are upset, if my household is in disorder, then how is my business going to be running smoothly? You know, like I've been married with my wife going on eight years. We have never had a fight in our life. We have never yelled at each other. We've never swore at each other. We've never had any of these types of problems. Because you got enough because sleep. Because we've done all the work. Because <laughs> you get enough sleep yeah, exactly. and you're not it grumpy. Really like it, yeah. it literally, I know it sounds so cliche, but it really is, it really does make such a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Well, Mikkel, I'm sure, I mean, if you can listen to this hour and, and at least not take a, great, a nugget or two of advice, I don't know what you're doing here, to be honest, because there's plenty of stuff that I think would help anybody here. Um, and again, for the deep dives, I'll link to all this stuff in today's show notes. Uh, Mikkel, I really appreciate uh, you coming on. I know you're going to stick around. We're going to hop into the smoke-filled room, see how weird we can get in there. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, just give a final drop, anything you want to plug, um, best ways to reach out to you, so on and so forth sure so i guess the number one is the podcast if you go to whatever you are listening to us on today and you search the expat money show you will find the program there we've been going for about seven years 230 episodes of the program lots of big names on there mark was uh you were a guest last year uh on the show one of the most popular episodes of I the believe year actually so definitely not guys. one of i believe it was the most popular episode the, the most popular Sorry. yeah mark faber we'll have to compare it at some point to well, mark yeah faber he could be a late contender for sure yeah um, so that would be the number one expat money show. Number two is go to expatmoney.com. There are links to the newsletter. I think we just hit 40,000 subscribers on the newsletter. We have uh, the webinars I told you about, the blogs, everything, expatmoney.com. Um, and if you guys need help, you can reach out to me. Happy to try to support your listeners. Okay, Mark? All right, Mikkel, it's been fun as always. Take care. Thanks for coming on my show. Yeah, man. All right, friends, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mikkel Thorup. Hope it inspired you. Hope it gave you a few pointers, some tips about how you can be ruthlessly 
efficient with your time, ruthlessly productive like Mikkel Thorup is. Of course, as always, the conversation continued in the smoke-filled room for premium subscribers. You got to be a primo sub on Patreon, patreon.com slash Show over on Rockfin. You can find the Mark Claire Show uh, also on Subscribestar. I did get a few Subscribestars last week, probably because I was smart enough to tell you guys, and I'll tell you again right now, Subscribestar, you do have a one-week free trial. So if you head over to Subscribestar.com, I believe it is slash the dash mark dash claire dash show i'm pretty sure that's what it is if not you can find it in today in the show notes for today um, i'm very good about links there's links everywhere go over subscribe if you're smart and efficient with your time if you're ruthlessly efficient with your time like Mikel, you could subscribe for a week with full intention of unsubscribing and not paying me if you so chose and you could listen to all 16 smoke-filled room bonus segments the last four months of insane incredible mind-blowing content in the smoke-filled room with Mikkel we talked a little bit more about some of the most dangerous and interesting places he's visited including North Korea a really great time chatting with him you're gonna enjoy the full conversation again as little as eight bucks a month or as little as zero bucks a month if you're smart enough to go get yourself the free trial on Subscribestar. I leave it up to you guys. Either way, I hope you're enjoying this program. I assume you are. If you're listening to me right now, you're not just hate watching my my post uh, post interview screed or whatever. But nonetheless, I am very, very appreciative of your time. Time is incredibly precious. I appreciate every moment you guys spend watching this program. Until next time, in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, good night.